Hey everybody, Hi how's everybody. it going? This is Hub, I and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a nice time on this fine, whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. Me? Oh. Well, I'd like to apologize, because I feel like garbage. And not in the sense that I'm hungry and I'd like to eat some garbage, like you might say, I feel like Thai food, but rather in the more common usage of that phrase, which is to say, I am unwell. Which, frankly, I think you probably could have figured out from context. I mean, I know that podcasting is largely an audio medium, but come on, I'm not a raccoon. As I have mentioned several times in the past, I am a human man from Earth. I don't know what I have to do to drive that point home. Stupid human fools. See, I don't I don't mean that. You human fools aren't stupid. That's that's I'm I'm cranky. And also probably my voice sounds bad, which is why I bring up my unfortunate infirmity. Well, that and to uh martyr myself a bit so that you you feel bad for me and uh you know, maybe send me some money or something. That'd be nice. Oh hey, if you feel like doing that, you can do that at patreon.com backslash TT Wasteland. Um, this is already getting ramblier than I had intended, so tell you what, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Kevin Wetter. Robin wears short pants that show off his knees. Corey shoots star bolts that always go scree. Cyborg has gadgets that fit on his wrists. And now it's time for a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Kevin. That was nice. New Teen Titans number 25. November 1982. War. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Raven. Cyborg. Beast Boy. Robin. Wonder Girl. Kid Flash. Omega Men Roll Call. Oron. Brute. Demonia. Harpus. Kalista. Nimbus. Primus. Tigor. Or, as I like to think of them, Shiny Reverse Jesus, Rockman, Evil Snake Lady, Scary Parrot from Zoobly Zoo, Space Witch, Nosferatu, A White Guy, and Tigor. Previously in New Teen Titans. Starfire's piece of shit older sister, Princess Commander, kidnapped her younger sister at the behest of a boss's the evil slave-trading alien collective known as the Citadel. The Titans attempted a rescue mission. Their plan was to zoom straight up in a couple of weaponless refurbished space miatas and see what happened. Well, what happened was Princess Commander and her armada of farty little Godzilla monsters ripped the Titan space miatas apart, tore Cyborg's legs off, and tossed our teenage heroes' unprotected bodies into deep space. Bad plan, Titans! After watching her teammates' apparent demise, Coriander hulked out and escaped from captivity, announcing her intentions to murder her sister. Hooray! But our orange-skinned ingenue's aspirations of soror aside were short-lived. The villainous Commander quickly defeated and recaptured her younger sibling. She also announced that she would like to be called Blackfire now. Good luck with that, Princess Commander. Beast Boy's been wanting to be called Changeling for 25 issues now, and you can see how that's going. And I kind of like him. Sometimes. Speaking of Beast Boy, he and his apparently expired teammates turned out to be not so dead after all. Hooray! 
Raven had used her astral bird cocoon dealie to protect herself and her fellow teammates from the vacuum of deep space just long enough for the gang to drift near the JLA watchtower and get rescued by Superman. The Man of Steel used his legendary superpowers to arrange a rideshare for the teens to the general region where Starfire was being taken. The Titans' companions on this cosmic road trip were a diverse group of alien freedom fighters called the Omega Men, who hated the shit out of the slave-trading Citadel and were eager to provide assistance to any who opposed them. Meanwhile, Commander delivered her captive sister to her boss, the leader of the Citadel, Lord Damon. Lord Damon appeared to be a racist caricature of Idi Amin. Unsettling. Damon acted like a scary jerk, threatened and sexually harassed the Tamaranian sisters, and ate some of his servants. So, not a great guy. Back on the Omega Men's ship, Raven noted that evil Snake Lady is evil. Well spotted. The gang landed on the planet Okara, which is both where Starfire got her martial training from some Yeti walrus monks, and the home of Zahal, the living goddess, who Starfire habitually mentions in her oaths. Turned out, Zahal is shiny reverse Jesus' mom. They had a little chat, and Zahal ordered slash compelled her son to kill all the space jerks that just showed up in the skies over Okara. It seems that Damien's forces had just arrived and were intent on capturing Zahal, and using the death-delegating deity as either a weapon or a hostage in their ongoing war against the Omega Men and their allies. On the planet's surface, the Titans split up into two teams, with Kid Flash, Donna, and Raven staying in Okara and assisting the Omega Men against the Citadel forces, while Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Robin tried to sneak aboard a Citadelian ship and return to the homeworld to rescue Starfire. Beast Boy dressed up as one of the funny little Godzilla monsters who work for Lord Damien and claimed that his more obvious human comrades were his prisoners. The plan seemed to be working and the trio of tricky teens climbed into the spaceship which subsequently blasted off. Hooray! But then Beast Boy said something stupid and one of the Citadel guards pegged him as a spy, pointed a laser gun at him, and demanded to know his true identity. Gadzooks! What will the repercussions of Beast Boy's calamitous miscue be? Is Zahal a benevolent goddess of love or a bloodthirsty Old Testament deity? And, after meeting 11 new characters last episode, how many new names will I have to fail to remember for this one? Okay, so, virtually no repercussions, although that doesn't stop Gar from reverting to his default setting, Toxic Insecurity. Yes, yes she is. And, none. Hooray! On the planet of Okara, the Citadel forces are invading and everyone is fighting everyone. Shiny Reverse Jesus is flying around, blowing up spaceships. Nosferatu is using his death cloud to, I guess, fart people to death or something. Tigor is biting fools. Rockman is literally twisting alien heads off. Scary Parrot from Zoobly Zoo is flying around shooting people with a laser cannon. Space Witch is doing magic. And White Guy is standing around telling people what to do. Yeah, that sounds pretty on brand. Wally, Donna, and Raven are all doing their respective things as well. What Raven's thing mostly is today is being horrified and waiting around behind the Omega Men, trying to heal up the aliens that her allies have just done their best to kill. Ah, uh, that's, um... You know what, Raven? You do you. Eventually, the pain and chaos begins to overwhelm Raven's psyche. Her inner darkness rises up and threatens to overtake her consciousness, leaving her susceptible to the influence of her extra-dimensional douche-lord of a father, Trigon. Oh, shit! Then... Just when things seem hopeless, she concentrates real hard, asks Wally to pray for her, and is just fine again. Whew, that was close. Probably. Looks like for the first time ever, sending thoughts and prayers was an appropriate response to a crisis. Huh. Deep beneath the planet's surface, Zahal, the living goddess, has seen enough. 
she stops remote controlling her son, Shiny Reverse Jesus, into blowing up some space jerks and says she is tired of fighting and willing to give herself up to the Citadel if it will save her followers. Her followers obey her orders to stop fighting, but aren't super crazy about the idea of Zahal being taken to the Citadel homeworld. A, the Citadel are a bunch of slave-trading evil assholes, and two, the last time Zahal left the surface of Okara, she turned into a kill-crazy monster and tried to blow up the universe or something. Zahal tells them not to worry. This time she's going to concentrate real hard and do her best not to destroy any galaxies. Probably. Well, that's good enough for the Omega Men. They pack up their god and ship her off to their sworn enemies. Speaking of people who are headed towards the Citadel homeworld, I wonder how Robin, Cyborg, and Beast Boy are doing. Last time we saw them, an alien was pointing a blaster at Beast Boy's head and calling him a spy. The action picks up with the blaster-wielding alien guard demanding to know who Beast Boy really is. The green teen responds by reciting a litany of pop culture references at his inhuman interrogator, most of which are from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and all go right over the guard's head. What doesn't go over the alien's head is Vic's go-go gadget fist, which smacks the alien right in the proverbial kisser. Ouch. The Titans beat up the rest of the ship's crew, then steal a blaster, and threaten to kill their would-be captor unless he gives them the codes they need to sneak them into Lord Damon's headquarters so they can try to rescue Starfire. Reluctantly, the Citadelian agrees. With the aid of their hostage, the trio of tricky teens makes their way past several checkpoints and into the heart of the Citadel stronghold. After they pass by one security guard, a four-armed Branxian, the captions inform us that he has a family that he misses. Uh-oh. Sure enough, the very next panel, a giant snake comes up and eats him. Dang, he was only two years away from retirement. Oh, and also that giant snake is actually the evil snake lady Omega Man, Demonia, who I guess can turn into a giant snake for some reason. I had to look that up, because it's never explained in the title, and the power only manifests itself in that one panel. So, mostly, it just seems like there's a non-sequitur bit where a guard we just met gets scarfed up by a dragon. Weird. Once the titanic teenage trio is inside the stronghold, their hostage turns on them and sounds the alarm. Our heroes beat him up and flee sneakily into the depths of the enemy fortress. Robin is super tense. Cyborg punches a bunch of dudes, and Beast Boy feels bad about himself. Meanwhile, a few stories beneath our triumvirate of tempestuous teens, Coriander's piece-of-shit sister and her boss Lord Damon are torturing the crap out of Starfire. There's also a little green asshole who looks like Greedo and talks like Spock, who is overseeing the torture and saying shit like, Fascinating. And fuck that guy. Evil Snake Lady shows up and says she wants to join up with the Citadel forces and betray the Omega Men. Damon and Coriander are like, nah, we're good. How's about if we just kill you? But she's all like, uh, no, wait, guys. You got Titans sneaking all up in your shit. I'll kill him if you give me a planet. Damon's like, maybe. Back on Okara, Raven and Wally talk about how Raven almost freaked out and got evil and probably would have destroyed everybody, but then she didn't. They both agree that that was weird and it's probably best if she try not to do that again. Donna tries to shame the white guy into helping them rescue Starfire, even though it's against Zahal's orders. Back in the Citadel Fortress, Cyborg teases Robin about having a crush on Coriander, and Robin tells him to fuck off. Fair enough. They make it to the throne room where we see that a captive Zahal has been delivered to the Citadel's clutches. The bad guys are celebrating their victory over the rebels. Then that Greedo-looking fuck drags a nearly dead Starfire into the room and says some science shit about how tough she is and how much he tortured her. 
When Robin sees this from his hiding place, he goes positively apeshit. He grabs a space gun from a guard and blasts and kung fus the shit out of all the alien douches. Hooray! While Gar grabs another space gun and stands guard over his teammates, the boy Wonder makes his way to the unconscious Starfire and makes sure she's still alive. Princess Commander tells them all to knock it off or she'll do something with Zahal that will probably wreck the universe. But, while the moronically monikered Tamaranian was threatening mutually assured deity-delivered destruction, Cyborg was yoinking Commander's boss, Lord Damon. Vic holds a laser fist to the despotic douchebag's dome and demands that the Titans be given free passage from the Citadel. Hooray! Great job, Vic! Only, maybe not so hooray. Because Commander seizes this opportunity to live out the apparently universal fantasy of murdering her boss. The perfidious princess vaporizes Lord Damon with her magic space fire and declares herself the new ruler of the Citadel. Okay. Robin's like, well, you're probably going to be pretty busy ruling this galaxy and all, so we'll just grab our buddy Starfire and see ourselves out. Good luck with the whole despotic ruler thing. Hope that works out for you. Smooth. Princess Commander has other ideas. She declares her intention to murder her sister and the other Titans. But first, she has a little errand to run. She is going to destroy her parents and the entire planet of Tamaran. Snap. To be continued. Specifically, to be continued in the double-sized New Teen Titans Annual Number 1. Double-sized. Oh, good. Because I'm definitely of the opinion that not enough has been happening in these issues. And back from his adventures amongst the ant people is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? Oh, man, it feels good to be normal-sized again. Well, that's a relative term. I think the ant people probably thought they were normal-sized. So you could just as well say it feels nice to be a giant again. That too. Fair enough. You healed up from that part of the head that you got wanged on that made you shrink down to the size of an ant man? <laughs> yep. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Thanks. Let's never talk of that again. Okay. So, mm. what'd you think? Oh man, so many things still ha are happening <laughs> in this story. Yeah, it was chock-a-block with things happening. Many of them seem like they maybe didn't need to happen to further the story, mm -hmm. but we'll see. Violence. Lot of violence, yeah. I will say that the pacing of the issue kind of makes sense to me now. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like if this was an earlier New Teen Titans story, then the amount of things that happened in the last issue and this issue... And the upcoming issue, which will be the double-sized annual, probably would have been crammed into one issue or two issues, maybe. Oh, God. It seems like that, that for the most part, the stories back then were more like, everything happens all at once, and then the end. Definitely a lot is happening, and it's a lot to keep track of. And frankly, I think there are probably a few too many characters in this issue. Yeah, seven or so. Seven or so extras. We've got 15 good guys to keep track of. Oh, I'm sorry, we've got Zahal, too. So 16 protagonists, and then a whole bunch of bad guys, too. Yeah, well, if you take away Demonia. Okay, fair enough. But we, we still don't know exactly what's going on with her. That whole storyline, yeah, we, we can get to that later. But, but I think this does seem like it's about a four-issue arc. Mm -hmm. Like, that seems about right to me. So in terms of that kind of pacing, I like that. It's a pretty rich world. It um, really is. There's a lot of world building that goes on. Mm -hmm. A lot of vegans. Yeah, a lot of different vegans out there. 
Not all vegans are the same. No. A lot of them eat people. It's very confusing. It really is. Yeah. So I will say overall, just as a general note, I liked this issue. It was confusing. There was a lot happening. I think partly because of the issue that Lisa and I covered while you were gone. It was busy, but not as confusing. Like the things that were happening by and large made sense, Mm -hmm. which I appreciated. Mm -hmm. No musical instruments of fortune exactly yeah there there was no harmonica ex machina going on (laughs) which i appreciated very Mm. much so how do you want to cover this do you just kind of want to go through some of the characters and talk about their various things sure let's try that okay before we get into that (laughs) sorry i know i just brought up your question no it was frankly the state of brain i have right now every question is a trick question oh god how is the state of your brain right now? Very befuddled. Oh. I think this is just my new normal. Here. Clink. Sorry, <laughs> we've got cans of beer that so they don't make a satisfying noise when you bang them together. Cheers. So I want to at least really briefly talk about the insert story that's in this issue. Ah. Normally we can skip over it, and I know it wasn't in your reprint. You've got the trade paperback. Yep. But there is a 16-page Masters of the Universe story in here. Which is a fucking delight. Superman ends up going to Eternia and fighting Skeletor and Beastman. He actually, Superman doesn't do so good against Skeletor. Because Skeletor is a musician. I'm sorry. (laughs) Skeletor is a magician. And that's his, yeah, that's Superman's greatest weakness. Mm. Musician might be my greatest weakness. Oh. Like, guy guy breaks out an acoustic guitar. I have to run away. Just get weak in the knees. Oh, not weakness that way. (laughs) No, no, no. No, it's more my actual kryptonite than the way kryptonite gets used for, like, with people like cookies. I see what you mean. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) But the main thing that I need to talk about, at least really briefly in this issue, it's really fun, the 16-page insert. I dug it. It was pretty goofy. Superman ends up fighting, and I think it's the, the device that brings him to Eternia is somehow connected to this creature that I decided to name a mustachioed octopusicorn. That's a pretty good way to put it. It's this crazy-ass giant Muppet-looking beast of an octopus with a giant mustache that has a horn growing out of the middle of it, and it has big googly eyes, and it's the best monster I've ever seen. It's vaguely uh, Susian. Little bit. Susian, Muppetonian. Muppetonian? Yeah, that's where Muppets are from. It's fucking great. But also, Superman keeps having these crazy adventures in the inserts in this book, that take him to a different universe where there's a bunch of weird shit going on and then gets back to the DC universe Earth. I think people must think that Superman is fucking crazy. Oh, because he comes back and he's like, dude, you guys will never believe the mustachioed muppicorn. Yeah, or like, so Superman, how, how's it going? Where have you been? He's like, oh, um, I just teamed up with a giant talking rabbit man who was super strong, and we saved a bunch of other zoo animals on this planet where everyone was an adorable talking animal. I feel like there's a lot of humoring of Superman that probably has to go on because everybody's afraid of him, and maybe more afraid of him if they think that he is cracking up and having these delusions. Hmm, that's interesting. It brings up also, like, with great power comes... Great placating. <laughs> and also, like, this, I guess, moral obligation not to take hallucinogens. Oh. Oh, gosh. 
Yeah. I was just thinking, like, you know, oh, I was on a planet with a giant rabbit and blah, blah. It sounds very, like, like a, you know, trippy kind of experience. Yeah, and Donovan's probably not helping matters with that Sunshine Superman song. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Sheesh. Huh. Well, like I said, we've got a lot to cover in this issue, and none of that really relates to it. But it was technically in the comic book that I read for this issue, and I kind of couldn't not talk about it. You would probably need to post a picture of the critter because it is one of the goofiest things that I've seen. Oh, it's going up. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's start with some of the Omega Men. Let's dispense with a couple of them. It's convenient that we get kind of a roster at the beginning of them. Everybody gets a little headshot. And as the story progresses, you get a little caption of what each of them are kind of up to. Mm -hmm. Or at least a brief reminder of who most of them are. Oron, shiny, reverse Jesus, who has to kill people because his mom's a dick. He doesn't really do a ton. He tries to talk to his mom in this issue. He blows up a spaceship. Yeah, he blows up a bunch of spaceships. So, you know, he's got that. Really weird mom relationship. He's got a really weird mom. She is vacillating wildly in this issue, whether she's a Old Testament jerkwad god or a new Jesus-y type god who wants to be merciful and save everybody. And she's just kind of flipping back and forth between those. And nobody knows where it's going to land, and so they're all, stay on your prison planet, please. Yep. And she's like, nope. I can't. I have to go out into space where I might go completely bonkers and destroy everything in the universe to save you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, her motivation is kind of confused. She also has one of my favorite lines in this, which is, and I pray to whatever god a god says prayers to, that I may control the madness that forms within me. So she doesn't know who she's praying to. It's like, whatever it is that I do, I do. That's like, disconcerting. It really is. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that prayer probably isn't going to do a heck of a lot if that's how it's framed. Mm -hmm. Bad at praying. Yeah. Let's see, who else we got? Demonia. Jerk. She, she goes on a bit of a journey here. She's a jerk. She turns traitor, tries to cozy up to Lord Damon, mm -hmm. maybe succeeds. Kind of a waste of treachery because dude, dude gets iced pretty soon after, mm -hmm. which means that that whole little arc could have not happened. We'll come back to Demonia in a little bit. Harpus doesn't do shit. Brute. Brute kicks a lot of butt in a very violent manner. Yeah, Brute kind of freaked me out, man. Twisting heads. Dude, just, yeah, tw straight up exorcist in one of the Branksians. Just... Yep, gnarly. Yeah, it looked like he was maybe squeezing the dude's head as he was twisting his head completely backwards. Dang. Very uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Nimbus. Cloud Dude, clouds of Death. Clouds of Death? I didn't know that was his deal. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Makes it make sense that his name's Nimbus now. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's probably a more menacing clown name that he could have, but mm. I kind of like the juxtaposition. He's got kind of a happy, fun, elfin-sounding name. Looks like Nosferatu and kills people with a cloud of death. Yeah. So, all right. Tigor transforms into some kind of a lion creature, it looks like. Definitely looks more lion than tiger. And also more bestial than he had been mm -hmm. earlier. He was in beast mode. Yep. Full-on beast mode. He's a real Marshawn Lynch. That's right. I said a football thing. We have a number of followers on Twitter, some of, most of whom are new followers, who I think think that we are related to the football team, the Tennessee Titans. Oh, they're going to be so confused. <laughs> they really will be. <laughs> but uh, I just said a football thing, so you're welcome. Yep. Moving along, Primus doesn't do shit. The name is not fitting. No, no. I mean, I guess he's the boring-ass leader, so okay. 
and Kalista. Any thoughts on Kalista? Yeah, she seems cool. Okay. Powerful. Yeah. She doesn't really get a lot of time to shine, as it were. There's one panel where she's being pretty badass, but that's kind of all we... Yeah, for, for the most part, the Omega Men just, like, are generally waiting about and killing alien jerks. Mm-hmm. Or alien indentured servants, potentially, because that seems to be more what the Branksians are. Yeah, they're just waiting for their two years to be up so they, they can go home. Yeah, especially when we see earlier that Princess Commander was telling Starfire that they're changing the rules of slavery so that she'll be her slave forever, not just for two years. Makes me think that the Branksians are kind of slaves, which makes it way creepier the way that Brood is just waiting in and twisting their heads off. Mm-hmm. Also, because he had the experience of his wife being sold into slavery, you'd think... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, empathy's a sometimes thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Speaking of empathy, Raven. Oh, Raven. Man, never bring an empath to a gunfight. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, literally don't do that. <laughs> yeah. My main note was, Raven, wait in the car. Did I read this correctly? So, okay, they're killing, let's just call them bad guys, even though it's more nuanced than that. They're, sure. they're killing the enemy. The, the Omega Men, specifically, are right. going around killing the enemy. The New Teen Titans, I think we're supposed to get that they're just knocking them out, and probably that annoys the Omega Men. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the Omega Men are just going around, wading through, killing, yes, let's call them bad guys. Okay, and Raven is apparently following them around, reviving everybody she can that they knock down, and she gets super stressed out. She's like, every one person I revive, they kill two more. Like, oh my god, you're not doing the battle. No, that's not how war works. I, I, I mean, I appreciate your sentiment, but if you know that's how you feel about things going in, and that they're going to be doing that, as a conscientious objector... You're not really helping anybody. They're just going to have to go back and double kill the people that you just revived. And yeah, it freaks her out. And she starts just totally flipping out. I guess Trigon can come out from inside her when she's super stressed. Yeah, I guess so. That was the risk. Yeah, it alludes to the Teen Titans miniseries that I guess came out in the same year as this issue. Hmm. Which we might have to cover. It's been referred to a couple of times. I might set up another fairly low Patreon donor level so that I can get those issues and Mm. take the extra time to delve into those because it does seem like maybe something that we should cover because they've been alluded to a few times now. Mm -hmm. But then she, she does maybe the only instance I can think of of somebody saying essentially thoughts and prayers stat. Yeah. I actually need them. I don't know if it works or if just nobody in this comic book understands how prayers do and don't work. Well, I think Wally has the the most basic, like, kind of the the trite, you know, my our prayers are with you. Like, yeah, that's going to be effective. And she's like, yes, please. Yes, need them. Need them. Give me those thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess her being an empath, if somebody's sending her good vibes, religious or otherwise, that's probably somewhat helpful in okay. counteracting Trigon's. Okay, so if the person that you are trying to give aid to is specifically a magical empath, then perhaps sending thoughts and prayers is an appropriate reaction. Possibly. Okay, good to know. Yeah, Wally kind of pissed me off in this issue. How so? He acted like he knew what was happening, I think, more than he did. And was saying like, oh, you'll be okay, we just need to do this. You don't fucking know, dude. Well, Robin, you don't know how Raven's deal works better than she knows. Robin was... I would say remarkably down to earth in this issue, and I think that left a vacuum. <laughs> a vacuum in the mansplaining yeah. department and that just, just had to be filled. Yeah, and Wally was just, you know, yeah. filling that 
void. Yeah, he's offering solace and saying that he's worried about her, and I can appreciate that. But he does it in a way that seems to imply that he believes that he knows more about her situation than she does. Is this when he says, I love you even more now that I know how screwed up you are? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's part of it. But also it's before then he's like, I just want you to understand, you don't have to fight this yourself. I'm here. Yeah, okay, it's nice that you're there and you can give support, but really she does actually have to fight that herself. You can't use her your super speed to fight her dream dad or whatever. What if he twiddles his fingers really fast? It could make a dream dad vacuum. <laughs> just oh. suck him right out. You know what? You're probably right. He can make a sonic boom that will exist mm -hmm. in the dream dataverse mm -hmm. that will plink Trigon right in the third eye. Yep. Shut him right up. I stand corrected, Wally. Great work, buddy. <laughs> this is how it's... Stranger things have happened. That is completely fair. Stranger things have specifically happened in this comic book. Beast Boy. I am disappointed to see a return to his self-doubting ways. I had the exact same reaction. I thought we were past that, and I appreciated the character development that had been done, and then it looks like we're just back in a loop with him. Which, I know people sometimes behave that way, but it's frustrating to read, and it's annoying. I literally had written down, Gar's self-doubt is back. Eh. Mm -hmm. And it is once again based on very little. He actually does a very good job in this comic book. Despite the fact that Robin is fucking riding his ass. Didn't care for that. Tough love. Fair enough. Also, Robin is fucking stressed out. One thing, too, that was interesting in this issue is that we did see a little bit, it, it was just a couple lines, but a little bit more in the development of the romantic relationships or intentions between both Robin and Corey and Durr and <laughs> also Raven and Wally. But so put yourself in Robin's shoes like you're maybe not girlfriend, but like right. somebody you have strong feelings for is off being like some alien torture chamber and might be dead. Like, sure. He's really bugging out and trying to hold his shit together, but it is coming through that he's beyond stressed out yeah i think that's fair it also was jarring to me when they finally get to the place where coriander is being held that everyone's reaction is and then there's that other lady who looks kind of like starfire mm -hmm. it took me aback and i was like oh shit that's right they still don't know who kidnapped her or any of what's going on like they don't know that that's her sister that did that they don't know why her sister's such a jerk, or even that her sister's such a jerk. It was kind of jarring to realize that all of this stuff had happened just because we've read it. They don't know about it. It's just been one big wild ride Man. for them. They're lucky they found her. Really, what are the chances <laughs> of that happening? I would have to say 100%. <laughs> So yeah, you talked a little bit about Robin. He's getting stressed. He's more just kind of snapping because he's worried about Starfire. And uh, Cyborg picks kind of an odd time to tease him about it. He's like, all right, so we've got to go rescue our teammate. And Cyborg's like, You're really, uh, you really want to rescue her, huh? <laughs> and Robin's like, yeah, I really want to rescue her. She's, she's our teammate. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and Robin's like, yeah, yeah. And she's my very good friend. And Cyborg's like, oh yeah? Really? <laughs> he really That's does seem to be like your friend? needling him. <laughs> Robin's basically just, what the fuck, dude? We're on a mission! Yeah. It kind of cracked me up. That cracked me up. Cyborg cracked me up a few times in this one. He also does a really good job. He uses his finger laser to great effect. Yes, he does. Yeah, also... Both in blasting people and taking a hostage. 
I think he has a knuckle lasers too. Oh, you're right. He's got like a taser fist kind of up against the guy's head, which nobody ever calls the Titans on their bluff. I guess that must be one of the benefits of going up against an evil slave trading empire is that you would just assume that everyone is as murderous as the world that you're used to. So death threats would be taken not with a grain of salt. But mm-hmm. as a matter of course, because anybody could have who knows the Titans at all or who has been following them. That was the thing that kind of surprised me because Princess Commander mentioned that she's been monitoring the Teen Titans adventures. Mm-hmm. So she must know that they're not going to kill Lord Damon. Like they're not going to kill anybody. I don't think she gives a shit. Yeah, she kind of doesn't because she ends up killing Lord Damon anyway. But on the other hand, he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit, guys, help. Me. Yeah. I'll yeah. You two planets. Man, I'm glad he's dead. I just don't want to deal with that bullshit anymore. Ugh. There is one panel specifically where what we were talking about last episode of this, where he is drawn in a way that is very uncomfortably close to a racial caricature. Mm-hmm. There is one panel in this which is just fucking over the top in terms of that shit. It's on page 15 in the lower right hand corner where it looks like the kind of like racist caricature that was used in like 1920s advertising. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we don't have to deal with that character anymore mm-hmm. uh, because that fucking sucked. And glad that's done. Likewise. Yeah. It's one of those things where, again, I think we talked about it last time. It was a different time when everybody was horrible. Right. But at the same time, it is one of those things that makes you wonder how subconscious of a choice it right. was to do this or how conscious of a choice it was yeah to do this. and and i i don't think it was necessarily a conscious choice but i think it was perhaps the the artist not questioning his own decisions on that mm-hmm. and yeah just like the effect of growing up in the culture that that we all grew up in mm-hmm. uh but that is why it's important to question your motivations and your choices so that you don't do things like have a character who is an offensive racist stereotype. Agreed. So, yeah, let's not do that. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> there is one scene which, it's something that Chris Claremont does a lot. It's also something that Wolfman does a lot, where if you meet a minor character and then you find out a little bit of their backstory, especially if it mentions that they have kids and they're two days away from retirement. It's like having a red shirt on Star Trek. Exactly. Or in Star Trek The Next Generation, like having a costume that zips up in the front instead of in the back. Uh... For the Star Trek The Next Generation, that's actually a good way to tell if somebody's kind of a disposable character, other than just not recognizing them. If they're a recurring character, once they show up a certain amount of times, they'll get a better tailored uniform that has a zipper in the back instead of in the front. Hmm. So if they're a front zip, that's kind of the equivalent of a red shirt. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't even think those things had zippers. I just thought they were... Like, they just get teleported into them in the morning. Yeah, just <laughs> show up for work, have your coffee, and boop. Yep. Lycra. <laughs> that would be pretty great. I would love to have a teleportation device to help me get dressed. Mm-hmm. Suck to go to the bathroom, though. Oh. Maybe you could just go into the teleporter and have them teleport all of the pee out of you and into deep space. Maybe they're like union suits. It's just really well tailored so you can't see the flap. Man, space tailoring is a wonderful thing. Anyway, the Branksian dude. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we find out he's like, oh, he just wants to get back to his kids. He hates being on this cold planet. He wishes he was on a warm planet like the swamp he grew up in. Mm -hmm. That was surprising to me. I just assumed, I know they talked about not liking the cold, but they look kind of like space yetis in their fur jackets. So I assumed they were from a cold place. Mm -hmm. No, they're from a warm place. They hate the fucking cold. Yeah. 
And uh, you know what else they hate? Dinosaurs. Man. Out of nowhere, fucking dinosaur shows up and eats the fuck out of the dude. Chonks him right in half. <laughs> yeah, just gets chonked in half. <laughs> I had to look into that because I was like, wait, did why did a dinosaur just show up out of nowhere? It's like just his head, dude. Yeah. Chonk. Just whoop. And then he goes back. Okay, that's fucking demonia. What? I had to look it up. She could apparently turn into a giant fucking serpent and, and it, eat people. Oh, that's a jerk. It's jerk. a, it's a so jerk jerky. move, but also I can't believe that I'm the only person who hadn't read Omega Men a ton before reading this comic book. You need to introduce the concept that she can do that at some point in the last two issues. And they hadn't. And they didn't have any reference to her being that person that had eaten a guard on the way in. I thought it was completely after. random. Yeah, that it was just like total non sequitur. Uh, like, man. So anyway, I just want to focus for a few panels on how much it sucks to be a guard. I thought it, I just imagine like Perez sitting there like do 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 like doodling and just be like, oh, that's weird. I'll just leave it in. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's like, a, like a Monty Python like opening cartoon thing. It's like, right. yeah, and then the giant foot comes down and squashes him. Oh, uh, anyway. <laughs> He's just like humming a cheerful little tune to himself, <laughs> drawing away. It's such a nice dragon. I hate to erase it. Yeah. But yeah, that's what was going on with that. That was fucking Demonia, which I never would have known if I hadn't looked into it. There must be magic at play here because those Yeti guys are pretty huge and she's pretty tiny. So when she transforms back into her regular size, she'd be super full. Maybe she has like a super fast metabolism. So like when she's in her snake form, like there's a few minutes where she looks like the thing from The Little Prince where it's the hat, but it's also a snake with a full tummy. And then, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't seen that story for a long time. I haven't either. I don't honestly know if I've even read the whole thing. Okay. But I know that there's a picture where it looks like a hat, uh -huh. but it's really a snake that has eaten something. Oh. So it's the brim and then the puffy bit in the middle. Right. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. So maybe she looks like that for a minute when she's in her snake form, mm -hmm. and then she poops real fast. Mm-hmm. Like... I don't know a ton about metabolism of snakes. They that... don't need to eat for days and days after they have a big one. Okay, so then, yeah, I don't know how that works. You're right, it's magic. Yeah. Okay. Maybe she visited the teleporter room and got the poop teleported out of her. Ah, oh, that could take days. Maybe she's a space bulimic. And she just, like, <laughs> chopped him up and then spit him out. Like, oh, like, that was... Chonk, chonk, bleh! Oh, she is disgusting. Yeah, I hate her. Me too. Not because of her eating disorder. Oh, that, that is not why I hate her. I, I hate her, and apparently we have just fictionalized her into having an eating disorder. But mm. the two are largely unrelated. It's, I'm sure space society is still a real nightmare for a young space lady. And <laughs> Where are you going, sir? I'm talking about the things that led to her having a space eating disorder. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm just saying. Mm. It, it's I, I don't fault her for that and i hope that despite the fact that she's evil she gets the treatment that she needs and can really put that behind her that's big of you yeah uh moving along <laughs> <laughs> so that's three of the characters <laughs> does anybody else do anything um wonder girl doesn't do shit if she thinks about how she feels bad about Starfire and she's worried about her. She has a conversation with Primus and tries to convince him to stay and help them get Coriander to safety. So it's like at the end and she's like, hey, are you going to honor your promise? And he kind of sullenly like looks off panel. Yeah. Other than that, she does not do a lot in this issue. Yeah. 
Coriander. We find out that she has been dealing with a level of torture that the Scion dude is, like, super impressed by. Mm -hmm. That guy's a little fucking weenie. I don't like him. (laughs) Uh, Me neither, yeah. (laughs) He's a jerk. Yeah. He's a dispassionate jerk, though, which is, I mean, doesn't really make it better. No. Maybe it makes it worse? I don't know. I think it makes it the same. Yeah. Yeah, she is incredibly heat resistant. Yeah, good to know. I mean, I guess it makes sense. She can fire cosmic fire out of her hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, if she wasn't heat resistant, she'd get awful blisters. Oh, that would be no good. Well, shit, you ready to move on to the uh, minutia? I think we should. All right. Rick, would you like to sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Indeed. So, yep. what do you feel like uh, hitting up first? Let's talk about sounds. Okay. Sound effects. Sure. One of them, I believe we mentioned at least briefly before, the dragon eating noise. Oh, page 12. What's that noise? Junk. How the fuck does getting eaten by a dragon, or demonia, for that matter, make a chonk? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a little bit, and I don't have anything real solid other than, you know the noise when you accidentally your teeth knock together? Okay. So maybe it's just like giant dragon teeth gnashing. Okay. So yeah, she's she doesn't spend a lot of time in her giant dragon snake form. So mm. she's new. She's not great at eating. Yeah. So. And she had a little bit of a mishit. It was a bad bite. Chonk. Chonk. Could be. Chonk. I decided to go with batam, which is a sound effect that gets its own panel. And it is Cyborg clocking a Branksian, mm-hmm. which he does kind of a lot of. He's so good with his punches in this. He is a book. very good puncher. He also mentions the fact that he uh, he used to run with a gang. Yeah, who's Ron? Beats the fuck out of me. I wonder if that's in the miniseries. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so, too. Although, it is kind of weird to me that to find out that Cyborg used to run with a gang. Like super upper class science kid. Because, yeah, he's a super upper class science kid who was also a star athlete. Not, um, not a combination that you Not a combination that you often see in gangs. Uh, I feel like that was kind of just Marv Wolfman being like, well, he's black. Black people are in gangs. Okay. Oh, oh Marv. I, I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit with the backstory that he was given. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Who knows? We haven't read it. We haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe Ron ran a gang of like upper class kids who were slumming it. Ah, I don't know. Anyway, any other sound effects? Yeah, I really liked the noise that Cyborg's finger laser makes when he can zwip. Point. Yeah, it's like a really diminutive but but somewhat deadly like zwip. Yeah, we've had zwip before. That was the noise that the lasers made when it blew up the bad guys' heads in Zandia. Yeah, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. Zwip. Zwip. Zwip's pretty fun. It is a fun word. Yeah. Okay. What do you feel like hitting next? Uh, let's go from sound to artwork. Okay, Of so... which there is a treasure trove. This book is drawn so meticulously in detail. There's so much detail in the yeah. art. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm going to do my cheat one first, if that's okay. Cheat one? Yeah. It's on... Like when you eat a donut when you're not supposed to? Sort of. It's on page seven of the oh, that's Masters of the Universe story. I would have picked that too if I had this insert. It is of the mustachioed <laughs> octopusicorn that Superman is fighting, and it's fucking amazing. Surprised the shit out of Superman, too. 
Dude, how would it not surprise anyone? That thing is berserk. Looks like it's got earthworm tentacles. Yeah, I want to give credit where credit's due on that one. Let me find... Okay, that was uh, Kurt Swan and inked by Dave Hunt. And he's a very prolific Superman artist, Kurt Swan is. And he does a great job making the goofiest goddamn creature I've ever seen. From the actual issue? Yeah, it is a beautifully drawn issue just in general. One of my favorites was page 19, which I call the flying sad face. And it's Robin's head just coming at you in some motion lines while he's crying. I had that too. What'd you call it? Psycho dick. <laughs> <laughs> that is also a good name for it. Because the background, you called it motion lines. I was thinking of it as they weren't swirly, but the quality of them was mesmerish it is it reminds me of like if it was in an anime then it would be like the character coming at you and talking like this and it would be like flashing training oh god yeah yeah it's very intense and he looks fucking batshit crazy yeah but also sad yeah there's a lot going on this is got a rich tapestry of emotions going on mm -hmm. sad and angry <laughs> yep <laughs> it's not a very large tapestry yeah but, but it's rich, rich. it is rich <laughs> I also really liked on page 11, it's as they are in the Branksian spaceship and they are communicating with the Citadel homeworld. There's this laser grid that mm. then has yellow silhouettes against the background. I just called it the Tron grid panel, mm -hmm. but it's really cool. It, it's on page 11. And yeah, it's Branks Warship, grid 13, level 27, pattern B, entrance code received and accepted. That's some fun science fiction nonsense. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. And it is, yeah, a yellow silhouette of what is, I guess, happening on the Citadel home planet as they are monitoring for security. But it's a cool-looking laser grid with some nice yellow silhouettes of technology things happening and some authentic science fiction nonsense. Very cool. Yeah. You got any others? Yeah. In fact, I don't know which is my favorite, whether it's Sad and Angry Robin face or this one. And... This one, I really did not like the subject matter, but the way that it's drawn is super awesome. And it's on page 14, and it's when uh, Coriander is being tortured by the scientist guy. I know the I know the panel you're talking about, and yeah, that, that also did stand out. Yeah, there's so much happening in that panel. It's just so many weird science devices, and you see the Scion jerkwad, who is monitoring this series of discs that have, like, all pictograms of a skeleton and electricity and a screaming face. And it's really intensely drawn. And there's just a lot going on. Mm -hmm. It's well done. Yep. Let's take this party to the Bozo. Oh, okay. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, did you want to discuss? There was actually quite a, a bit of good banter. There really was. In this issue, but I'm going to go with one that I appreciated the play on words of, and it's on page five. I know the, I think I know the one you're talking about. It's, it's Cyborg uh, yep. chastising Beast Boy as Cyborg is smashing the shit out of some bad guys with his go-go gadget arms. And he says, move it, green jeans, you're just screwing up the works. Let me have that goofball. But he spells green jeans, jeans with a G. Yeah, G-E-N-E-S. Yeah. yeah, I also had that one written down. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I also liked on the same page... It's not technically an insult, it's more of a threat, but it is followed with a light insult of Robin Beast Boy threatening the Branksian guy. And he says, so unless you want some laser-induced cavities, do what the kid in the silly short pants says. Mm -hmm. 
And so I really like the the threat as he holds a laser gun to the dude's head, unless you want laser-induced cavities. Mm-hmm. That's pretty clever. Sure. That's some good good threatening. Straight, straight up Beast Boy, too. Uh-huh. And uh, following that up with uh, calling Robin the kid in the silly short pants. Mm-hmm. Classic Beast Boy. Unless he's telling them to do what Cyborg says, who is also wearing silly short pants, which mm-hmm. often gets overlooked. That is true. But I, I really liked that insult. Also, Commander has a few of them. She calls Lord Damon a buffoon, which is fine. Buffoon's a good villain word to use. Sure. Also, when she finds out that the Scion guy doesn't feel emotions... The Scion dude says, Sibling rivalry? Passions control you, Commander. You should be more like us Scions. We live only to satisfy our scientific curiosity. Emotions are meaningless. And her response is, Then you're the loser. Mm. She literally says, Then you're the loser, Scion. Yeah. Nobody used the word loser before that. Touche. Yeah, I like that as a comeback. And uh, yeah, way to prove that you have emotions and not logic. It's like, oh, you should be more logical. No, you're the loser. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hard to argue. Fair enough. But I like that pretty good. Sure. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices in this issue would you like to talk about? I cannot recall what we talked about in last issue, so apologies if this is a repeat, but I thought uh, Callista's getup was pretty awesome, and in particular her boots. We definitely did not talk about Callista's boots. What? I thought was interesting about them is, I mean, they're like these tight kind of form-fitting things, which Mm -hmm. doesn't really go with what they reminded me of, but what they reminded me of were those uh, moon boots that were super popular. Oh, yeah. There's a, you know, kind of alternating pattern of colors that goes with the rest of the Oh, totally. Those are straight up fucking rainbow bright boots. Yeah. Yeah, they they are more form-fitting or calf-fitting, but... Yeah, it's a series of intersectioning Vs of alternating color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. Those are rad. Yep. It's a good look, and she's got and Yeah, other than that, billowy... she's just got like a billowy space bathrobe, yeah. kind of. Yeah, nice kind of low-cut space bathrobe. Sure, she's but a... with a Dracula collar. Of course. Because she's of a course. wizard, I guess. Yep. And uh, her wizard bolts match the color of her space bathrobe. Yeah, that's some good coordinating. It's all really nice. If I could fire bolts out of my hands, I would dress in that color. Probably. I mean... Why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You know what color bolts you shoot. You're gonna find out. Yeah. One way or... I mean, I'm not saying you're gonna find out. Like, I'm not threatening you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty cool. I wanted to talk about the Brinksians' costumes because I had previously assumed that the costume was maybe part of them. Oh, the fur? The fur jackets, they are straight up wearing, like, Chewbacca cosplay jackets. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go to a comic book convention, you'll see, like, the sweatshirt that makes you look like Chewbacca if you wear it. Sure. They're all wearing those. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's cool. Yeah. And I like it. They gotta stay warm. Yeah, and it's got four armholes in it because they got four arms, mm-hmm. but it's I, I like their Chewbacca cosplay. Uh, they're cool jackets, and I dig them. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you have a timestamp or a show and tell in this one? I had both. Ah, I just have the timestamp because there were a bunch of timestamps and they were confusing. What was your show and tell? My show and tell was... When uh, Raven explains to us how empathy works on page 8. Let's hear that. I am an empath. I heal pain. But now that pain stays with me. Too much to shut out. Too much to absorb. Oh no. No. It claws inside me now. 
Yeah, and then goes on to narrate the way that that expresses itself. But yeah. For like the whole half of a page. Yeah, there is a lot of self-narration going on of exactly what she is going through. And yeah, good call. Thank you. One of my, most of my timestamps are on page five. And they are Beast Boy just listing shit, basically. I had that too. And it's weird. I had to check what a couple of them were. And they are things that Beast Boy, as a 16-year-old in 1982, would almost certainly not know. Rerun television programs, right? Maybe. So he says, Do the name Ruby Begonia strike a familiar note? How about Luke Skywalker? Flash Gordon? Captain Kirk? Would you believe Rocky Jones? Yeah, I didn't get the first and the last one of those. I I forgot to check on who Ruby Begonia was. Mm. Rocky Jones was Rocky Jones... Space Ranger, which was a 1956 TV show that I don't think was in reruns. Like, I I don't know how Beast Boy would have known that. It's like Wolfman. Hmm, what are some old things? What are teenagers like? They like Space Rangers, the 1956 show that I grew up watching. Sure. Yeah, but then he goes on to say, uh, shucks, I really wanted to see if they liked Laverne and Shirley on Mars. Uh, Laverne and Shirley was still airing at the time. Mm. But yeah, just this list of cultural references that some of them are current. Some of them are very old, like Flash Gordon and Rocky Jones. Just weird, like a a weird hodgepodge that it's really more of just like a shoehorned in cultural reference or like eight shoehorned in cultural references than a timestamp with the exception of probably the Luke Skywalker was still very much in the zeitgeist and Laverne and Shirley was still on at the time. And Captain Kirk. I think the Star Trek movies were starting to come out around then. Mm. But yeah, just kind of weird. Yep. Lots of them. Yeah. Was that what your timestamps were too? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Every episode of a Teen Titans comic book has a Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this comic book, who was your Speedy? I feel a little bad about this because it was just this character doing what this character does, but I think your Raven stay in the car comment (laughs) kind of drives it home. Yeah, I had a battle of the R-birds for this one because I thought both Raven and Robin, for the most part, did a pretty bad job. Oh, that's curious. I actually had Robin as one of the runners up for an Aqualad. I understand that he was under a lot of pressure and he did some okay fighting, but he was supposed to be the guy who had the plan for how to deal with this situation. And it at no point seemed like he had any kind of plan. He was just reacting to things happening and then saying, we need to have a plan, but I need to stop and think about it. Well, we're in the middle of infiltrating this base and Cyborg ended up having to step in and just be like, what would Ron do? <laughs> And I appreciate that. Ron would speak with his fists. Yes. And I, I do appreciate all that. However, at the end, when Robin finally sees Corey and her, he loses his shit and goes berserker mode and goes in there yeah. and starts kicking ass. And I was like, oh, there we go. Okay. It's, it's nice I, to see him for once act on some emotion. And I think fight. that's fair. And I think that is why Raven does win the Battle of the Arbirds. Now, granted, she does end up wrangling herself back into some semblance of self-control. And I guess kind of saves everyone from her destroying them. But you don't get extra credit for solving a problem that you create. And really... I'm nodding vigorously. Yes. Really, just fucking stay in the car. (laughs) We'll crack a window for you, Raven. (laughs) We'll put on your favorite song on the radio. Mm -hmm. What do you think is our favorite song? Ah, let's see. I mean... I think a Carpenter's song? No, I'm saying 
early 80s. She's probably goth. I think she's got a couple different ones. I think the ones that she tells people it is is probably uh, Bella Lugosi is Dead by Bauhaus. Oh, Bauhaus, sure. Yeah. Uh, but really, probably, it's Some Kind of Wonderful by Grand Funk Railroad. I don't think she's more of a, a cure girl. I honestly can't remember when the Cure albums came out. I don't know if they were out in 82 It's probably yet. later. I think they were a little later 80s than that. Yeah. I think she will get into The Cure very much. Probably more for their danceability than you might think. Hmm. But I think at this point, she's got some like 70s love song classics. Like like I said, Grand Funk Railroad's mm-hmm. cover of Some Kind of Wonderful. Mm-hmm. That she's just like, oh, I'm going to hide under the covers and turn up my AM radio and just listen to this. And... Thinking like a girl, you'll be a woman soon. Sure, sure. You think she's just like a big uh, Neil Diamond fan? Well, you know, little Grand <laughs> Funk, little Neil Diamond. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, you know, we can... Now I up... feel bad for giving her the, the speedy. Well, whatever. I mean, like I said, if she was just staying in the car with the window cracked, listening to uh, some Grand Funk and some Neil Diamond... Yep. None of this is going to be bothering her. True. So yeah, that's why she is the speedy of this issue. Conversely, I suspect we have the same Aqualad. Is it Cyborg? It is Cyborg. He does great. He punches. He go-go gadget fists. He He's... finger lasers. And then he fist lasers. Fist. Threatens a fist laser. Threatens a fist laser. Gives advice. Gives Yeah, just really. Uh, needle, and... Needles Robin hilariously. And, yes, has some... <laughs> She's crazy. <laughs> At the end, yeah. Well, Robin is talking with uh, Princess Commander. He has an aside where he just whispers, and I believe it's probably a stage whisper. But as Robin is talking, he just goes up to Robin and goes, Careful, she's crazy. <laughs> and it really cracked us both up. Yeah, it, it, the fact that there's no that it's just with a period, that it's just a matter of fact statement. There's not an exclamation point. Yeah, <laughs> good job. <laughs> good job stating the obvious. Fair warning. Cyborg and uh, well done. Noting that Robin probably doesn't have a great barometer for those sorts of things, especially not now. Yeah, I would say probably, especially never. I think if you're raised by Batman, you have probably a loose definition of what acceptable emotional behavior is it's definitely some moral flexibility there yeah thanks to the largest of our patreon donors we have the category what is aqualad probably up to Corey, in november of 1982 wapoot so we've discussed before that since his wet and wild days and even probably before he's been a big fan of music and counterculture sure and uh you know some of his formative years were were spent listening to the mellifluous melodies of the beatles okay well they were friends with the beatles right they had that signed picture of them yeah the whole deal and so uh you know after the the breakup he's he's following kind of the individual careers and um he reads that george harrison's got a new record out and he loses his shit because he thinks it's about topo Topo the octopus. Right. And he rushes off to Tower Records with his sea strength and legs, and he grabs it and gets it home. He's so excited. He unwraps it and goes to put it on the hi-fi, and he realizes that there was a bit of a misunderstanding. It's not Topo, it's Tropo, short for tropical, like gone tropical. Oh. And he proceeds to play what is an album so terrible that 
even George Harrison himself was so demoralized he didn't return to the studio for another five years <laughs> after. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Very good. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Do you think it was that it was a bad album, or do you think George Harrison was just demoralized when he realized that he had missed the opportunity to write an album about Topo that would have fit the same meter? Oh, it's entirely possible. Mm, I would say nearly probable. Well, that may have been part of what Aqualad was probably up to, but towards the end of the month, Aqualad found himself with a little extra pocket money. Nice. You see, you remember how back in the day the Teen Titans had established with pretty much every television station around the country a standing order that anyone could come into the studio at any time, record a brief message, and air it, and then the Titans would respond that way? Right. Well... They had just had that set up as a automatic payment going on mm. that was just heading out out of the Titans funds. And they had never bothered to turn it off, despite the fact that it's now the new Teen Titans. They're in the Titans Tower. They're separately funded. They have different ways. This had been an expenditure that had been going out of the Teen Titans pockets the entire time. So finally, Aqualad is like, oh shit, I should turn that off. Mm. So he contacts all of the television stations in the country. All of them. Yep. And, it, and it's just like, hey, uh, nix that thing. We, we don't need it anymore. We need to cancel that. And the television studios freaked the fuck out. Mm. The, the broadcast networks are like, shit, we're losing a ton of revenue. These, these kids, they were just paying us in jewels every month from the ocean's floor. Right. How are we going to get this extra money? And then they petitioned the FCC and were like, look, you guys... You've got a ton of regulations on how long TV ads can be oh, and how frequently we can air them. <laughs> oh, You've got to relax that. We lost all our Teen Titans money. Oh. And the FCC was like, oh, okay. So on November 23rd, the FCC dropped their regulations on duration and frequency of TV ads. And that was Aqualad's doing. Oh, so, buddy. Yeah, I know, but he had a little extra spending money, so he went out and, as a gift, bought all of the Teen Titans' new BMX bikes and Masters of the Universe action figures, which they were all pretty stoked about. They pretended, it's like, oh, we're too old for these. We don't play with toys anymore. Mm -hmm. But they were like, oh, but you, you got Ram Man? Ooh, and Zodak? Mm. And Grizzlor? Sure. Yeah. And Fisto? Oh, yeah. Little Orcos. <laughs> little Orcos running around. The guy who... I used to call Bumblor, who I forget what his real name was, but he was a Bumblebee man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was like Buzz Off or something like that. He had a dumb name. Mm. Bumblor's a better name. Sure, yeah. Bumblor. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Mm. They got those sweet BMX bikes, started riding them around. Pretty cool. He got the money on the 24th, which is uh, Black Friday, so there were some sales going on. Oh, he sure. got to get, those were the two most purchased Christmas presents as toys that year. So he got to, oh, sure. got to get those for, for all his Teen Titan buddies. Oh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. What a nice young man. Yeah, despite the fact that he is the reason that uh, we have to watch so many TV ads these days. Mm, not anymore, thank goodness. Oh, that's true. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Ah, that's the ticket. It sure is. And <laughs> what a ticket. A golden ticket. And how? To contact us. Woo. You don't need to eat a billion Wonka bars to find it. Or have a creepy grandpa sing you songs. None of those. No. 
Twitter at TTWasteland underscore. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, your podcatcher of choice. And, you know, look inside your hearts. We're probably in there hanging out. There's other things you can do. You could give us money at patreon.com backslash TTWasteland. I think I might put another goal up there uh if you would like us to cover the teen titans miniseries tales of the teen titans seems like that's the sort of thing we should probably hit up but i gotta get me them comics Mm. Uh, i don't think they're in any of our reprints currently yeah and it's a nice way to let us know that you appreciate the work that we're doing on this podcast because it's a lot of work yep (laughs) and thank you for listening i'm sure frankly that's a lot of work too (laughs) yeah nice hustle folks yeah way to be careful we're crazy And they know it. And they know it. Let's go. Raven, go wait in the car. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland. Come. Come? No. Mm. Google TT. Uh. You can contact us. <laughs> Use your internet oh, machine. Oh, boy. And do a search. <sighs>